Speaker of the House, and Alan Cranston and what's going on with Lincoln Financial Savings and Loan, and just on and on it goes. And it seems like you know you don't have to dig up the past to be able to discuss this question because there isn't a day that goes by in the newspaper that there isn't something going on where someone's integrity is questioned. So I just got a couple local examples and just kind of throw out just to help build the point that we're trying to get across, and that is that there's a definite identity crisis or integrity crisis. This one's taking place currently in Dana Point, and uh, city officials' investment questioned. Mobile home park deal was not disclosed. Dana Point, while city council members were uh, mediating a dispute between the tenants and the owner of a mobile home park last year, city manager William Talley became business partners with the park's owner, Richard Hall. Although the business relationship is not illegal, the news has prompted tenants of Dana Point Marina Mobile Home Estates to question the integrity of the council's actions from January 1989 to July when the council refused to consider a rent control proposal for the mobile home park. Hmm, sounds like foul play, said the tenant's attorney, Gerald Gibbs. I would not want anyone to be restricted in their investments, but by God, you don't invest with the fox when you're talking about protecting the chickens. State law does not require Tally to make public his partnership with Hall in a Chula Vista mobile home park because the property is outside the city. He said he didn't want to disclose the deal because he wanted to keep his private life private. If the law doesn't require it, then I don't have to run my personal investments by anyone. I don't see where there's a conflict. Federal regulators say they'll charge Bush's son. Federal regulators pursue civil charges against Neil Bush, the president's son, for his alleged role in the failure of a Colorado savings and loan. The Office of Thrift Supervision said the agency and Bush, a Denver businessman who sat on the board of Silverado Banking, could not reach a settlement on charges related to Silverado's failure in 1988 says regulators said they found, quote, an exceptionally large number of problem transactions, end of quote, between Silverado insiders and borrowers. Bush, who was a partner in an oil exploration firm, J&B Exploration, had business deals with two of Silverado's major borrowers, developers Bill Walters and Ken Good. Again, they didn't see a problem with that. Ex-secretary sues ministry leader over alleged sexual harassment, Costa Mesa, Damus Shakarian, founder and president of Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International, has been sued by a former secretary who alleges that her job was eliminated after she rebuffed the internationally known ministry leader's repeated sexual advances. The lawsuit alleges, alleges that Shakarian sexually harassed Trimble from 1981 to 1987 by grabbing, touching, fondling, and sexually accosting her. Cover of Time Magazine, sexual advances by Mayor Marion S. Barry are alleged. Woman reportedly used by FBI to lure Mayor to hotel room. Dateline Washington, Associated Press. The night before he was arrested on cocaine possession charges, Mayor Marion S. Barry Jr. made repeated sexual advances to the woman reported to have helped the FBI lure him to the room, law enforcement sources said Thursday. Barry, who, who the FBI said uh, was vi videotaped buying and smoking crack cocaine, kissed and touched Rashida Moore during his visit to her hotel room, the law enforcement official says. The account of sexual advances was first published Thursday in the Washington Post. And regretfully, we'll pick up the papers next week and read about four or five more situations that are going on unrelated to these. So the problem is, what has happened to integrity?
you got to ask yourself that question. I don't care who you are. I mean, your brains could be out to lunch every now and then, but sometimes you got to stop and ask the question, what's happened to integrity? What's going on in our society? And what's happened to men and women of integrity? And where's this all heading? And uh, it's a very relevant question. I know but some of you are saying, oh, you know what, Chuck? But the problem is, see, these are public figures. Uh, these are in the public image. These are uh, political figures. Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with you and I, right? Right. So let me get a little more personal. I like to do that every now and then, so if you don't mind, I'm going to. But uh, how many of you have, have heard the phrase, a man's word is as good as gold? man's word is as good as gold. Huh? You've heard of it? Okay, hey, raise your hand. Keep those hands up. Oh, good. I see some, some grins here. You've heard that phrase, right? Okay, since I don't know what it means, I'll ask you. What does it mean to you? A man's word is as good as gold. It's as valuable as gold. Okay? What? You can depend on it. You can bank on it. Right? Is that pretty much the general consensus of what it is? Now, some of you are thinking, a man's word is as good as gold, and you think somehow it equates to the fluctuating value of gold. Um, <laughs> that, that's not it. I mean, you know, historically, a man's word was as good as gold because gold was a reliable source. It was dependable. And even the Bible uses gold as a standard to base the economic system on, saying that, you know, in the last days, uh, our standard system would be based on gold, and there's some value to it. And uh, so a man's word is as good as gold, right? How many of you still believe that it's a standard that's true today? Huh? Does anybody believe that it's still true today? Depends. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's always true of us, right? I mean, oh, let me ask you that. Let's get more personal. Is, is your word as good as gold? Wait, 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 wait. Is your word as good as gold? Is it or is it? It is, right? But a minute ago when I said, does anybody believe it's still true? Nobody in this room said it was still true. Oh, wait a minute. Do any of you hang around each other? Stop. Stop and think about this for a second. Do you spend any time with anybody in this room? Because nobody's word is worth anything, but all of a sudden, but mine is. Do you see a problem there? Let me ask you this. Is your word dependable? Right? It's dependable, right? Oh, this is, I love this. I don't Okay, your word, who says their word's dependable? Come on, you can bank on it, you can count on it, you make a commitment, you keep it, right? Oh, I love this. Oh, this is good. I don't even know where to run with this one without getting in a whole bunch of trouble. But, oh, except for memory loss, which we all have. No, you know what, you know what would be so fun to do right now? All of you will raise their hand, oh, my word, you can count on my word, is to ask your spouse. Or ask some of you know how many things you promised that you've never done yet. Should we do that? Would that be fun? No, it wouldn't be fun at all, would it? Okay, well, we won't do it. But we'll, come back, we'll come back to it, though. I, it's just something that's, that's there that we need to talk about. Oh, my word's as good as gold. But when I make a promise, don't expect me to keep it. Huh? Anyone getting uncomfortable yet? Oh, good. Have you backed out of a promise? Have you backed out of a promise? Let me ask you something. Does somebody, do, you, do you owe somebody money and you promise to pay him back? Have you paid it back? Does somebody owe you money and they promise to pay you back and they haven't paid you back? 
Are you not compassionate and never loan anybody any money when they have a need? <laughs> Gee, not me. Have you ever said, oh, but you know what? Uh, you must have misunderstood. That's not what I meant when I said what I said. Have you ever said that? How about if you ever gone, uh, well, I changed my mind. <laughs> I changed my mind. Now that I consider the consequences of what I promised, I didn't really mean that. I changed my mind. Isn't it amazing? You know what Proverbs 26 and 7 says? Listen to this carefully. It says, many a man proclaims his own loyalty. We have a whole room full of people just a minute ago said, hey, you can count on me. I'm loyal. You can count on me to, to keep my word. We have a whole room of people just did that, right? But you know what God says? But who can really find a trustworthy man? When you really start asking a tough question, you say, oh, your word's good. Oh, great. Have you ever made a promise you haven't kept? Oh, do you have promises right now you haven't kept? Oh, have you said things that you haven't followed through with? Oh, you know what? Gee, maybe God has some wisdom here, doesn't he? Many a man proclaims how trustworthy he is and loyal, but who can find a trustworthy man? It says a righteous man who walks in his integrity. Who walks in his integrity. We have a whole world of people who are looking for men and women of integrity. Case in point. Time magazine recently had a, ran an entire issue on ethics, and here's what it was entitled. Whatever happened to ethics, assaulted by sleaze, scandal, and hypocrisy, America searches for its moral beginnings. Gary Trudeau, who is the creator of Doonesbury at a commencement address, made this statement, which is a classic in the area of integrity. He says, We live in a day when men would rather be envied than esteemed, and when that happens, God help us. Dan Rather had a radio spot that was entitled, Whatever Happened to Sin? Ellen Goodman for the Boston Globe wrote an article, The Goodness of Guilt. You ever notice how our society wants you to believe you should never feel guilty about anything? There are no absolutes, so there's nothing right or wrong. There are no standards, and if you violate a standard that doesn't exist, how can you feel guilty about it? So why do you feel guilty about anything? You shouldn't feel guilty about anything. Well, let me just tell you something. The Bible has a lot to say about feeling guilty about some things, and it's justifiable guilt. And we better take a good hard look at when we feel guilty about, for example, making a promise that we don't keep. If you feel guilty about it, there's good reason, there's, and there's a lot of Scripture to back it up. You better feel guilty about it. And when you begin not to feel guilty about it, you're buying into logic that there's no absolutes, there are no standards. You can say whatever you want whenever you want to say it for the convenience of the moment, and you don't ever have to live up to it. But does God feel the same way? No, see, God has a different standard than our world that we live in. <coughs> May Greenfield Newsweek wrote an article, Possibility, possibility, mind you, of moral absolutes. I love Ted Koppel. Ted Koppel had the greatest commencement address in the history of everybody who's ever been invited to give a commencement address, and it was at Duke University, and here's what he said. And he was the most vocal of all of those who are out there in our society looking for integrity and absolutes. He said... We have actually convinced ourselves that slogans will save us. Shoot up if you must, but use a clean needle. Enjoy sex whenever and with whomever, but just use a condom. No, the answer is no, and not because it isn't cool or smart, or because you might end up in jail or dying in an AIDS ward, but no, because it is wrong. Because we have spent 5,000 years as a race of rational human beings trying to drag ourselves out of the primeval slime by searching for truth and moral absolutes. In its truest form, truth is not a polite tap on the shoulders. It is a howling reproach. What Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not the ten suggestions. I like that. 
See, the world is crying out, and it's asking the question we need to ask ourselves, and that is, that what has happened to integrity? And what I want to do is make this as personal as I can, and I want you to ask yourself that question, what has happened to integrity? Not the integrity of somebody else, because it's always easy to see where they fall down, but I want you to ask yourself, as I ask myself, what has happened to my own integrity? See, that's really where it begins. So turn, your, turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And we're going to go through what God has to say about integrity and see how it conflicts with everything that's going on around us, because it certainly does. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is going to answer the question of what happened to integrity. And I think you'll be surprised when you consider that question as we go through it, what has happened to integrity. God has, a, you know what's amazing is that we think we understand something and God comes and goes, oh, wait a minute, you know, there's that old thing where there's a way that seems right to man, but it's end is destruction. There's something you think you've got a handle on it. But let me just show you what the root problem of, he's going to show us why there is no integrity in the world in which we live. That's what he wants us to see why there's no integrity, and how we can restore integrity, not only in our own lives, but as we restore to our own lives, it'll begin to be restored in the society in which we live. Because all the value systems of society start with individuals, and then collectively they become what they are, whether they're a norm or, or a value or whatever. So he's going to say, hey, listen, here's how you can reestablish integrity in your own life. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. And draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools, pay what you vow." It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that, oh, it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Just ask God to bless our time. Father, we just thank you for your word and for just the, the hope that it offers us as we look at a world that's just so out of control. God, what has happened to integrity? That's the question that we're here to deal with and we look forward to the answers that you have to give us. May as we learn these truths begin to apply them in our life and may we see a restored value, a restored character trait that we've so far gotten away from. God, help each one of us to be men and women of integrity. Help us to understand what it is. We just thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Integrity. I think as you go through this, there are going to be five characteristics of integrity that are going to be pointed out in these seven verses. And we're going to take a look at them one by one. And as I said, I think you're going to be surprised when you find out what integrity is all about. And um, as we go through this, I want you to just kind of take note of it because it starts, the foundation or the root problem begins um, with this. Integrity involves a cautious response to, in coming to God. Let me explain what I mean by that. Because if you look at, look at verse 1 for a second, you're going to notice that what, what he's saying and Solomon's trying to warn us about is integrity begins with the attitude 
that we don't fly into the presence of God with our wish list or our demand list. See, we live in a society where somehow along the line we believe, and well, we should, and there's a balance here, so you know, try, to, try to listen, okay, if you can. And I know you've got other things to do and places to go, and you're probably writing those things down now <laughs> as we speak, but this is going to be really important so that you don't just catch half of it. Try to listen very closely to what's being said, because what he's warning us is we have the privilege, for those who have trusted in Christ, we have the privilege to approach the throne of God. In confidence is what Hebrews tells us. We have the confidence that, hey, God cares about me. He's concerned about my needs. We have the privilege and the confidence that as I have a need in my life, I can bring it before God. Okay? There, that is the truth of the Word of God. You have the privilege and we have the confidence to enter boldly before the throne of grace. But the flip side of it is that we come to God with the demands of our life and somehow expect that He must meet those demands. Have you ever been there? God, why didn't you answer these things that I got in my life? Why didn't you do for me what I wanted you to do? You know, where are you now? What's the, what's the problem? What's the question? See, and so we, we live in a society that we believe and we're being taught that you have the, the right, not the privilege, but you have the right to demand of God whatever it is that you want Him to do in your life. And there's some real problems there. We don't run into the presence of God and, and demand anything from God. We need to be cautious in our approach before God. We need to guard our steps, is what it says in verse 1. It says, guard your steps. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. He's saying, hey, you know what? I'm not to be pushy with God. I'm not to demand from God to do what I want Him to do when I want Him to do it in my timing. I've got to be very careful about this. Do I have the privilege to go before His throne and, and with my needs? You better believe it. But do I have the right to demand of God to do for me what I want Him to do in my timing? It's nowhere taught in the Bible. See, integrity begins with a cautious response in coming to God. It reinstills a value system. In our, our culture is so uh, familiar with one another. We're so buddy-buddy. We're so relational. Everything's relational-oriented that somehow or another we want to drag God from His throne and say, Hey, buddy, you know, you know it's like uh, Jesus is my drinking buddy type of thing. And, and uh, we have no more respect for who God is. And so what Solomon is warning us is, and see, the disintegration of integrity begins with this as its root. A loss of respect for who God is. Don't you see in the society we live in? Don't you see the lack of respect for authority? Whether it's a school teacher in our, in our school systems, whether it's a police officer uh, out in our society today, whether it's a government official, whether it's your boss at work, don't you see the disintegration of, of uh, respect all around you for authority? I was talking to a person this past week and I thought, man, it was interesting because I grew up on the East Coast and I'm, many of you are familiar with that. And at the time that we grew up, every person that we knew that was an adult, we were told, this is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'd like you to introduce you to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So we would call them Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We weren't, you know, I, I, was, I was a little, I was quick. I picked up on that right away. Have you, but, you know, now we're down to everything is, oh, don't call me Mr. Smith. Call me Joe. No, don't call me Mrs. Smith. Call me Betty. You know what I'm saying? And so we don't want to. And I don't know if it's just a, a cultural thing here in Southern California because for some reason, many of you who are growing older, it's like the bumper sticker, I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. Um, it's kind of like that. We don't want to be called Mr. or Mrs. because then it makes us feel like we're older. 
So call me Joe and call me Betty. And it begins to have a deteriorating effect on the society in which we live because it begins to breed a, uh, oh, a contempt for authority. It's a breakdown of authority. So it's no wonder that young people today who are now calling their parents' friends Joe and Betty come into the presence of God and it's like God's supposed to be another Joe or Betty in their life. Or when they go to school, they no longer call Mr. Jones, who is a history teacher. Mr. Jones wants to be called Joe, you know? And respect for God. So we go before the presence of God and we say, Hey, God, Jesus, mind if I call you JC? I mean, you know, just to kind of keep it a little more personal. And I don't mean to get crass here, but I'm, I, I'm, I want to make a point. And that is that we need to get back to the value structures that God says are important. And one of those value structures are that we need to guard our steps. You know what? The, I mean, this is the first command in the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything else has been an observation. And now Solomon's saying this. Hey, this, is, this isn't a, an option. This is a command. Guard your steps. Walk prudently. Would say, hey, you know what? Watch your steps. Watch how you're walking. Watch what you're saying. Watch what you're doing. Remember the old stereotypes when you're invited to dinner with the boss? It's like, oh, the boss is coming for dinner. Or, oh, we're going to the boss's house. And you're concerned about what you wore. And, you know, you almost, you versed your kids on what to say. Okay, now you say this. Well, as soon as I say this, you say this. And you write out a whole script. And you worry about what you're, what you're going to wear and, and how the house is going to look and what, what the place settings are going to be like. It's like, where has, where has those days gone? And how does that affect our relationship and how we look at God? Somehow we need to reinstill that. And there was a certain aloofness that we didn't need. And there was a certain uh, structure. And so it's like the people who were in authority try to take advantage and manip- manipulate their authority. But God will judge them for that. So what we try to do is equalize it and say that I don't want to respect any authority other than God's. <laughs> Here's the problem, though. See, since all authority has been established by God's, Romans 13, so the authority in your business, the authority in our government, the, th- the authority all around us, whether it's a school teacher, whether it's a policeman, uh, whatever it is, that authority has been established by God. And here's my point to you. If you can't respect the uh, earthly authority that God has placed in your life, you will never ex- learn to respect the authority of God. It doesn't work. You can't just respect Him and not respect everything else that He does. So Solomon says, hey, folks, you know what? This, is, this isn't an option. This is a command. You have got to learn to guard your step as you approach God. See, isn't it any wonder? I mean, it's no wonder in our society that we've turned God into nothing more than a, a genie that we should rub and he should do whatever we want whenever he's, we want him to do it. And there's where the first problem is in integrity. Because you know what happens? God doesn't do it. God doesn't do things our way. Job says, hey, I know this. You sit on the throne of heaven and you do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. That's my conclusion of everything that's happened in my life. And God said, hey, you learned a lesson, didn't you? See, God can do anything He wants whenever He wants to do it because He's God. And we've got to keep that in mind as it comes to authority. Because you know what happens? When God doesn't do things our way, then we no longer believe that He exists. So now we're not accountable to anybody. And we can do anything that we want to do because then we can rationalize it and justify it. Where does integrity go at that point? It goes out the window. So as we go through this, he says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near. So there's two things that he's making a point of. Point number one is that as we guard our steps and approach God, we recognize the need for worship. 
We recognize the need for worship. We have got to come to the point where God is the central figure of the worship of our life. Why? Because He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be honored. Why? Because He's God. You know what happen is when we don't recognize our need for worship and we don't recognize uh, who God is in our life, it opens us up to do anything we want to do. Turn with me for a minute to Psalm chapter 73. Psalm 73. Asaph was, was wrestling with a question that I think a lot of us have wrestled with. And that is the question in Psalm 73. He was wrestling with, why in the world do wicked people prosper? You know what I mean? Why is it, have you wrestled with that this week? Why in the world do wicked people prosper? We see evidence of it all around us. We see examples of this. Why do they prosper? You mean wicked people who have no integrity can actually prosper here on earth? Of course they can. And so he wrestled with this question. And here's what he was saying. Let's just start at verse 1 and we'll kind of go through it. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Isn't that true? But as for me, my feet came close. Listen, he says, My feet came close to stumbling. I almost made a major mistake as I looked at the world around me. As I questioned people who were prospering that had no integrity, I almost made a big boo-boo. And you know what it was? I was going to become just like them. See, in, uh, in Malachi, the same thing happened. They questioned God. Hey, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit you to serve God because if you look at all the people around you, you see people who aren't serving God that are prospering. So Asaph is saying, listen, when you question people around you who have no integrity and you see how they're prospering, don't make this same mistake that I almost did because I almost made a big boo-boo in my life. And here's what it was. He says, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they a plague like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness, the Im Im imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression, they speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore his people return to their, this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have increased their wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Hey, isn't that the truth? You ever get to that point? Man, you know, why am I doing things to please God? I don't really see any earthly value to it. I see people all around me who are living godless lives, living like hell every day, and yet they seem to be uh, prospering in areas that somehow or another I wish I was. Making more money, they're having nicer things, they're doing all this, you know. I, I must have kept my heart pure before God for a wrong reason. I must have wasted my time. I think every Christian gets to that point as they look at the world around us as falling apart, where you start to go, man, you know what? Am I going to keep on keeping on, or am I going to sell out and buy into the system and become just like anyone else that doesn't know the truth? Our problem is you know the truth. And here's the truth. It says, If I had said this in verse 15, I will speak thus. Behold, I should have betrayed the generation of thy children. It says, When I pondered this, when I really thought about it, it says, When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. I didn't really understand it. I really couldn't get a handle on it. But you know what he did? Look what he says. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived their end. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, until I came before the presence of God. And it wasn't until then that I perceived their end. 
know what I said? People that don't have integrity. The Bible says that they're on a, on a road to destruction. Lack of integrity is a road to destruction. Even though we may see them right now and say, look how they prosper. But you know the only way that we can come up to that conclusion is that we've got to come before the presence of God. We've got to worship God for who He is, for the truth of His Word, for what He says is going to happen is going to happen, for the judgment that someday will befall those who don't live a life that's pleasing to God. That's the truth of what the Bible teaches. And until we bring ourselves to recognize who God is, until we recognize that what He says is true, then we'll become just like everybody else who falls victim of, hey, I can just do anything I want to do. I can make a promise. I don't have to keep it. I can make a promise, and if it's going to cost me something, I don't have to live up to it. I can become just like everybody else and play the game of the world that goes on around me. So, but you know what? The only thing that keeps our priorities straight is that we have to recognize our need for worship. When you come before God and you worship God for who He is and what He has to say, it'll keep your priorities straight. All of a sudden, you realize that, man, you know what? I'm on a whole different value system than all the people around me. I don't really care if they do prosper. I don't care what's going on in their life because, obviously, they don't see their accountability before God, and I do. I see their end. I see where they're heading, and I trust God that He'll bring it to fruition. See, that's the problem that people have, that they don't recognize the justice of God. See, everyone wants God to be a loving, kind of love, their loving buddy. Cut everybody some slack, not judge anybody for anything, not have any standards or absolutes, because if God is a God of justice, which He is, then He has to bring about the discipline and the punishment which He has promised to do. Man, you know what? What happened to integrity? If we walk out of here with anything else, that's what's happened to integrity. We have lost our concept of who God is. We have lost uh, the respect for God, the cautious approach to come before Him because we recognize who He is. When we forget to recognize who God is, then we're subject to do anything that we want to do that's convenient and beneficial to us. The second thing is that it also realizes the nature of worship. I want you to notice what he says. He says, guard your steps as, uh, as you go to the house of God. The inference there is, hey, as you go and you will go because you need to go to keep your priorities straight. As you go to the house of God, draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. See, the nature of worship is that we come before God to listen to Him. Not to tell Him what we think because He already knows what we think before we think it. That's what the Bible says. Do you realize that? He knows what you think before you think it, so He knows what you're going to ask before you ask it, because He knows you thought it before you asked. So we go to God with our demand list, and we think we're telling God something new. He already knows it. Not that we're not to pray, because the Bible teaches us to pray, but when it comes to worship, we should come to God to listen to what He has to say. Oswald Chambers made the greatest quote. He said, when he was asked as, uh, in his latter days, he said that, hey, if you would have anything to do differently, what would it be? He said, well, and see, and you've got to take all these things in context because otherwise you run off on a, on a you know, tricycle or a, a unicycle and you come up with some goofy doctrine. But, but he said, hey, you know what? If I had to do it all over again, you know what I'd do? I would pray less and read the word more. And I went, what? I said, well, see, because prayer is me telling God what I want Him to do in my life. That's the way most of our prayers are. He says, but when you read His Word, you've got to listen to what He has to say that you need to do in your life to please Him. Isn't that great? Think about it. 
See, that's our problem. We, we pick this book up, and I know it because I deal with people on a regular basis, and, it's just, and I, I've got the same fault. We pick this book up, and we try to find how God will validate or stamp our actions as if they're somehow pleasing to Him. Rather than to read it openly and saying, God, if there's any wicked way in me, if there's anything unclean, if there's any way that I'm not pleasing to you, if there's anything in my life that doesn't add up to your perfect standard, would you just show me what it is? And so as I approach it that way, all of a sudden goes, oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. And I don't even have to ask the question because you already know what it is. And all you're doing is confirming what God has to say because His Spirit within your life is convicting you of what you're doing anyway. So you already know what's not pleasing to God. And every one of us sitting here right now know there are things in our life that aren't pleasing to God. And we don't even have to turn to the Bible to find out what it is. Although you'll find it, it's validated there and you're busted and you need to stop doing it. So, but as you go through it, see, that's, that's our problem. Na- the, worship, the, the nature of worship is that we listen to God. John White in his book, The Fight, says, It is God who wishes to establish communication. He's more anxious to speak to us than we are to hear Him. He is incredibly persistent in trying to get through. Our real problem is that we tend to avoid hearing Him. Truth liberates. It not only reveals a standard, but will set you free to keep it. This is what makes Scripture so different from other ethical systems which are powerless to help the struggler. Why is there an integrity in our society? Because our society wants to be told what they're doing is okay. That's not God's standard. God's standard says, hey, if you've got a question about what you're doing, then you come to me and I'll let you know whether it's okay. If it is, keep on doing it. If it's not, then you repent, stop doing it, and become obedient to the Word of God. Man, how different that all is when we understand that. So the first, the first step on our road back to the restoration of, of uh, integrity in our society is to understand that we need to have a cautious response to the throne of God. To respect God for who He is. He's not your drinking buddy. He's not going to do what you want him to do whenever you want him to do it. But he is God Almighty, the creator of the universe, who does things in his way, in his timing, for his purposes, and for his glory. And when we fit into that program, then things start to roll pretty well. God is not going to change for you and I. Second thing is, integrity is control is a controlled reluctance in speaking before God. You know, isn't it any wonder why people who have no respect for God and, and people that have no respect uh, or see their need for worship, is it no wonder that they could go out and do anything that they want to do whenever they want to do it? See, a person who doesn't recognize God as, as the, the controller of this universe and that God also is the, the, in control of their individual life, a person who doesn't recognize that or recognize their need to worship to keep their priorities straight, is it any wonder that they can go out and do anything that they want to do whenever they want to do it so when it's convenient to them? That doesn't surprise me. When I read story after story about people who have no integrity, I'm not surprised by all, at all. Because if they don't recognize who God is, they don't recognize their accountability to Him, they don't recognize their need to worship Him to keep their priorities straight, it's just natural that they're going to do whatever they want to do. And it's amazing to me that every person who's ever questioned about integrity always says this, I don't see the problem. I mean, it's like, I don't see a problem. Everybody else going, well, we do. Until you are in the same situation, and then you say, I don't see the problem. And everyone else says, well, we do. And it keeps on going on and on. The only way that we see the problem is to turn to the Word of God, and God reveals what that problem is. So this is where integrity begins, as a cautious response to God. It follows through now in a controlled reluctance in speaking before God. 
See, what happened to integrity? Very simple. You know what Solomon says? You know what happened to integrity? It's very simple. People don't stop and consider the consequences of the promises or commitments that they make. You follow that? People don't stop long enough to examine the consequences of the commitment that they make or consider the cost of their promise. He says, don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thoughts to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven. Again, helping us recognize that. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. Do you know, how many, you know why we want to get out of promises that we make? Because we never stop to think about the ramifications of it. Right? I see it happen in business all the time. Greatest example, and I've used it before, and then people think I'm a, a commission salesman, which I'm not. But the greatest example is a person who sits down and makes promises to an employee. They don't sit down and look at the long-range effect of it, and they don't realize that, oh, you know what, we need the sales right now, so we'll go ahead and offer them this, 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 and that. We'll give them the bonuses. We'll give them this. We'll give them all these perks, these incentives, da-da-da. And, and we tell them that if you do this, then we'll do that. And so they, they perform their end of the deal, and now all of a sudden it's time to cut the checks, and they go, we're not going to pay them that much. Oh, we're not going to do that. Why? Because they had an immediate need. They didn't examine the long-range consequences, so they offered promises to people, and, and employers do it all the time to keep employees where they're at. They say, oh, you know what? In three years, I'm going to do this for you, and in two years, I'm going to do that for you, and in five years, I'm going to do this for you. And it's all downstream, long-range, and what it does is it keeps that person content until it's time for payday, and then they say, oh, you know what? We've got to change that. Things are tough. We have to change it. See, that's what the whole problem with integrity is. We make promises without stopping to consider the cost that's involved to us. God says, don't do that. You make a promise, you're, you're liable for it, and you're going to have to keep it, whether you want to keep it or not, whether it's convenient for you to keep it or not. It's a controlled reluctance. Do you just make flippant promises? See, if you just make promises, you know, just to get people off your back, you know how it is. Guys do it all the time to their wives. It's like, oh, you know what? I'll do that for you. Get off my back. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. And you make a promise, then you don't keep it. And you know why you do it? You do it because it's expedient at the moment. It kind of gets her off your back. And then when it's time to follow through, you don't do it. You want to know, I mean, the bottom line of what the problem is in marriage today is that we've got people who make promises that never keep them. Integrity is a controlled reluctance. Integrity says, you know what? I'm not going to make that promise because I know what consequence there is to it. I, I'm not going to do that. Integrity is, okay, I've thought the consequences through, I've made the promise, and now I'm going to fulfill it, regardless of whether it's personally convenient for me or not. I got to do it. See, that's what integrity is, isn't it? And um, if we go through, look at the, the third thing, and that is integrity is a clear resolve to fulfill your commitments. The Bible says very clearly that if you make a commitment, when you make a vow to God, don't be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Pay what you vow. Can I, just, can I just blow you guys away with something here? Are you, having, are you having struggles in your life? Are you having some problems in your life? I wonder how many problems that you're having are because God is judging you, bringing consequences in your life for promises that you've made that you have not kept. God will judge you for that. 
God will judge me for that. He holds me responsible for a promise or a commitment that I make. Integrity says, you know what? I made a commitment. It's not convenient. I didn't really understand all the consequences to it, but it doesn't matter because my word's as good as gold because my word is what God takes into consideration because what I said, God's going to judge me for. And because of that, guess what? I need to pay what I vow. doesn't matter what it costs me. I've got to do it. Because it's going to be a lot cheaper for me to live up to a promise to you than it will be for God to hold me accountable for a promise that I don't keep. It'll be a lot better for me in the long run. And if you doubt that sometime, read Jonah chapter 2 sometime. And realize Jonah's problem was that he made a promise to God. You know what it was? That he'd be a prophet, that he'd be a spokesman, that he'd never compromise the word of God. He would do what God told him to do whenever God told him to do it. That was Jonah's promise to God. So God tested him said, Jonah, good, you're going to do whatever I tell you to do, whenever I tell you to do it. Hey, I think that's wonderful. I want you to go into Nineveh and preach the gospel. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not convenient for me. That's not really what I meant when I made the promise to go anywhere to do anything to be available for you at any time. So, oh, really? Well, here, fish, suck them up. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I mean, and, and we know that's what happened. We know that's the story, right? But we, we forget is, okay, so God sends this fish. We all know the story, Jonah and the fish, right? God sends this big fish, sucks Jonah up. Now, Jonah's got some time to contemplate as he lays in the belly of the fish. And he's wrestling through his mind is, gosh, did I do something to upset God? I wonder what it could be. And as he laid there, this is what his conclusion was. He says, and while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Oh, I guess he did. That's kind of funny, isn't it, how when we have all kind of problems, it's amazing how we remember that God is in heaven after all, and we remember him. It's like, as I laid there, I remember the Lord. Well, I hope that you did, because who do you think was going to get you out of the mess that you're in? Jonah, that was pretty wise. I, I, I appreciate that about you. He says, I remember the Lord. And he goes on through it. And uh, he says that, uh, while I was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to thee into thy holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to thee with a voice of thanksgiving. Listen to what he said. That which I have vowed, I will pay. That which I vowed, I will pay. Did Jonah recognize why he was going through what he went through? You better believe it. You know why he was suffering the consequences? Because he promised God that he'd do something and he didn't follow through with it and God held him accountable for it and judged him. How about you? You got some stuff going on in your life that's not a whole lot of fun? I'll tell you what, you know how you can get out of that mess that you're in? If you've made a promise to somebody, then you go and do it. You, you, you repent before God. You say, God, forgive me for it. I made a promise. I need to stick to my word. And I'm going to go pay what I have to pay. And I'm going to do it today. See, that's simple. Is this great stuff? This is about as easy as you can get. Every person in here has struggled with that at some time. Every person in here has either been bitter about somebody else who's made a promise that they haven't kept or have themselves placed themselves in the same situation by making a promise before God that they haven't kept. Very simple, conclusion to all of it. If you've done that, then you repent and you go make it right. Is that easy or what? This stuff's easy. I don't know, man. Sometimes it amazes me how simple that it is. The problem is, are we willing to do it? There's what we're really struggling with. Integrity is a clear resolve. Once you said you're going to do something, you better do it. You know what else is interesting? Integrity is a res continual resistance to sin. It's to recognize that whatever we say, God holds us accountable for. Whatever promise that we make, God will hold you accountable for it. And for them to know the right thing to do, James 4.17, and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. Don't let your speech cause you to sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Isn't that, I mean, how many times have you said, oh, I made a mistake. I didn't really mean that when I said it. Oh, no, it's not a mistake. The mistake is that you're not following through with the promise that you make. That's the mistake. 
It may be that you didn't stop to consider the consequences. It may be that you rashly made a vow or a promise or a commitment before you thought, of, thought about what it was going to cost you to fulfill it. It may have been that. You know what's great is that God says, hey, it's better not to vow than to vow at all. If you make a promise, keep it. If you are asked to make a commitment, then you better examine the cost before you say you will. Because if you don't, hey, you know what? God doesn't hold you accountable for a promise that you never made. But once you say, I do, that's why when people get married and they make a vow before God, God holds them personally responsible to fulfill that vow, that commitment that they made. person never got married, God doesn't hold them responsible for a vow they didn't make. Puts you in a whole different category before God. Every person that makes a commitment has to live up to it. Don't let your speech cause you to sin before God. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Think of Jonah. For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather fear God. Integrity, lastly, is a constant reverence for God. He says, rather fear God. You know what? If it was based on our accountability to one another... I can do anything that I want to do whenever I want to do it, and I can justify very easily. But the bottom line of integrity, and what will restore integrity quicker than anything else in our society, is when we realize that we must fear God, because it is God who is we are accountable for, too. It is God who will make sure that you fulfill your commitment. It is God who, if you don't fulfill your commitment, will judge you. Not us, not one another. Fear God. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. That's what integrity is all about. These five things as we close. It involves a cautious response in coming to God. Integrity begins with our ne- recognizing our need to worship God. It's a controlled reluctance in speaking before God. Hey, you know what? Slow down before you make a promise. Consider all the consequences and pray about it. And once you make a, a commitment, then God says, you live up to it. It's a clear resolve to fulfill your commitments. Integrity is a continual resistance to sin. It'll be a continual problem in our life to make promises that we're tempted not to keep. Because why? The world around us makes promises to us all the time and never fulfills them. So we're going to be tempted like Asaph to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing. It's easy for the moment. I'll go ahead and make a promise. It'll get these people off my back, and I don't have any intention of fulfilling it. Or if I do fulfill it, I'll do it only because it's easy for me to fulfill it. If it's going to involve a cost, I'm not going to do it. See, integrity also is a constant, constant reverence for God. Because the bottom line is integrity is the ultimate response to our accountability to God. That's really what it boils down to. Integrity is the ultimate response to our accountability to God. You want to restore integrity? In your life, ask yourself the question that God wants you to ask. And that is, do I take serious the commitments that I make? Do I realize that God holds me responsible for fulfilling it? Do I have unfulfilled commitments and promises right now in my life, like Jonah, that I need to repent and I need to go and fulfill? See, integrity begins at that point. And also, it's a legacy that we leave for the people around us, particularly for our children, who watch to see if a man's word really is as good as gold. You got promises unfulfilled? Then go and do it and make it right before God. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you for the simplicity of your word. God, we could just see so many of the consequences of a world that doesn't live up to their promises. We see the results of it. We see the bitterness of it. We see the anger of it. We see all of that. And we recognize how wrong it is in the life of other people. 
And yet, it's so hard for us to see it in our own life, as always is the case. God, help us right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit in our life, as he teaches us your truth, that if we've got anything in our life, any promises that we've made that we haven't fulfilled, that God first would just ask you for forgiveness, recognizing that it was disobedience to you and to your word that says that we are to fulfill our obligations, to pay what we vow, and then to give us the strength and the power to fulfill what may be a difficult thing at, at first glance. It may cost us something, but one thing it will never cost, and that is our relationship to you and the integrity of our life. God, help us to value that again. Help us to make those things right. And we just thank you and we praise you and we fear you for the awesome God that you are. And we respect you and worship you because you're worthy to be honored and to be praised. And as we continually come before you, you'll help us to see how your word is true in a world around you that's just so opposed to your standards. God, help us to be men and women of integrity. And we'll give you all the praise and glory. And all God's people said, Amen.